where I've been trying to direct our attention and our thought of becoming a Jesus church. That is, and you'll hear me say it again, that is a church that Jesus can be proud of. Not just that we can be proud of, but that Jesus can be proud of. A couple of weeks ago we started, as you see on top of the screen, with the joyful church. The joy of the Lord is our strength, and the, the joy comes from His strength, it comes from His Spirit, and and comes from His salvation. That would be a joyful church. And we talked about we talked about the joy comes from the inside. Happiness is on the outside. Happiness is controlled by your circumstances, whether you whether things go in your way or not. But joy comes from the inside. Jesus gives us joy. And I'll, I'll tell you what I did this morning. Now, you're not quite as bad as the 8 o'clock crowd. But, but I'm going to do this so you understand what I'm trying to communicate to you. Does everybody have two fingers? Can you hold them up for me? Okay, a couple of you don't have two fingers. It's okay. Now take your fingers and put them right on your mouth and just push it back a little bit. Even if you don't smile during the whole service, at least you have a pleasant look on your face, okay? Except for Rich. He refused, all right? So, but anyway, joy. It comes from the inside. You just love being together because Jesus brought us together. Then we talked about the encouraging church and how we encourage people to smile. How we encourage people in all things. We encourage them toward Jesus. We, we encourage them toward the church. We encourage them toward good things. Then lastly, we talked about being spirit-filled. And there's nothing in the world like being spirit-filled. And there's nothing left when you're not spirit-filled. Today, he's going to click a button up there. And we're going to talk about unselfish. Unselfish. Now, we're going to leave that up there for a little bit. as I just want to share some things with you to start with before we really get into the Bible teaching, Bible study. Selfishness, I don't want you to miss this, selfishness is one of the most natural attributes of a human being. You don't have to teach selfishness. I mean, think about it, those who are parents. Mine, mine, mine. I don't look self-righteous because your kids did it too. And you, when you hear them say, mine, 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 you do your best to train them differently. It embarrasses you, and so you try to do something different. But here's what I'm going to tell you, is that it's always there nipping at our heels. And without apology, I'll say this to you. Today's culture is eaten up with selfishness. It's all about, number one, what I want, what I deserve. 1985, this isn't a new thing. 1985, I know that's before most of you guys were born. But Eddie Carswell of the group New Song wrote a tune that they recorded, did really well, and it said, I need my mind, pride will get you every time. Four words that spell decline, I need my mind. And he's true. It's right. Is that when we get caught up with ourselves, we're headed but nowhere but down. This. Go look at your television with a little discernment today. If you want the money you deserve, if you want the car you deserve, if you want the computer you deserve, if you want the mate you deserve, so you see they're playing into us that we're going to go get what we deserve. Now, you may not like it, you may not believe it, you may not even want to admit to it, 
But this culture pulls us in, even inside God's family, pulls us in like a giant tornado. In the middle of that tornado, that sucking zone will just suck you right up and get rid of you. So on the first day of this year, <laughs> as the state of the church address, are you guys not having fun yet? Because I am. As the state of a church address, first Sunday of this year, I showed you a video entitled... Every time I watch that, I, I just sit there and I giggle because uh, uh, it should be crazy to think. And it would be funny if um, it wasn't true in so many places today. Now, now, I want to be clear before I go on. Because my intent, my spiritual intent, my personal intent is to help. I don't see selfishness as our huge problem. In many ways, we're, we're one of the most unselfish people. We give and we help. That's why we do things like Upper Room, why we do things like a fall extravaganza. That's why we do other things. But hear me clearly. We are not a perfect people. We are not a perfect church. And we are susceptible to selfishness, just like anybody in fact, I told somebody, I've said this many times, most churches are one vote away from voting Jesus out the back door because they chose to be selfish instead of selfless. You see, Scripture speaks to us not just about being unselfish, but about being known to be unselfish, about being known to be like Jesus. And and about being known, about being to be the way that He wants us to be. Now, the way that I want to do this today to share from God's Word for us is I'm going to start with selfishness. It starts its influence, impact, and the like. And then I'm going to contrast it to unselfish church that we are called to be. To do this, if you have your bullet, I know guys on the front row here, and these young people are always such a great encouragement to me because they're there with their Bibles and their notebooks and they're taking notes. If you've got your bulletin from back there, you can just fill in the blanks and this will help you as you carry it home. I'm just going to give you four statements to start with. The first statement is a statement that I open with. Selfishness is one of the most natural attributes of a human being. <laughs> now, you can look self-righteous if you want to. But we all know the truth because we all have been there. You don't have to teach our children or our family or our friends or our enemies. We don't have to teach this thing of being selfish. It's just naturally rooted in mankind. And there's a reason for it, and we'll get to it in a second. But it's the most natural thing that comes to us. You do nothing, and you do nothing to help your child, or you do nothing to help, yes, your grandchild. They'll wind up being selfish individuals. And, and once you have selfishness there, it, it, it takes a life of its own. Because the second thing I'll tell you is selfishness is like a fire. It's like a fire. The more fuel it gets, the hotter it gets. The more you give it fuel, the more it expands. Selfishness will never go away by appeasing selfishness. You give it fuel, it's going to grow, it's going to expand. 
Because if selfishness, as this fire burns hot enough in your life, hot enough for long enough, it will destroy all the good things in your life, which brings you to the third that says selfishness is a killer. I don't know if you've ever seen it in your family or in your friends. But consider this. Selfishness kills governments. It kills countries. I didn't say this first hour, but I'll just I see that in this country right now. When our founding fathers wrote those wonderful, almost miraculous founding papers, they did so with absent selfishness. Can you imagine how that Constitution would read today if the thinkers of today were writing it? Selfishness kills governments and it kills countries and it kills communities and it kills cultures and it will kill a business and it will kill an organization. On a more personal level, Selfishness kills marriages. It kills, it kills friendships. It kills family relationships. Because it kills people. It kills their influence. It kills their reputation. It kills and steals their joy. Their joy. The truth is, is that Selfishness is a sin, so selfishness will kill a church. It'll cause a church to die. Because separation is sin. Sin, when it gives, goes full term, so says James, it brings death. Now you need to understand, and I'll speak to this in a, just a few minutes and in a couple of weeks. We think of death being somebody's laying on the ground, the breath is gone, there's a casket, there's a graveyard, death. In a biblical sense, death is separation. We'll speak of it again in a second, is it? Man and woman had this perfect, we call them Adam and Eve, man and woman had this perfect relationship with God. They sinned and they were separated. You can have a relationship with God and when you sin, your fellowship is broken. Separation, that's death. The, the fourth statement I'll give you, and you can change your word because you don't talk like I talk. Selfishness is, I, my word is antithesis. Your word could be opposition, opposite. It's the selfishness is not like Jesus at all. For you see, for you see everything in Jesus' life is opposite of selfishness. Just follow me just a second. And this is worth saying a couple of times. Jesus left heaven unselfish. Jesus set aside his throne unselfish. Jesus divested himself of all the regalia of God. He even came to earth as a man to the point that he felt like we felt. Now, some of you will stop, your deep theologians will stop and you'll say, the truth is, he was God-man. So that's not the same thing. He was fully God, but as we'll read toward the end of the message, he was also fully man. For you see, when he died on the cross, he felt, he felt the pain just like you and I would have felt 
with the thorns in our head. He felt the pain when, when the nails went through his wrist. He, he felt the pain when they lashed him. He felt everything we feel. In fact, the Bible says that he was tempted in every way like a man. And he did all of this, please listen, to pay the ransom for many. Now, have you ever really thought about that picture of Jesus paying a ransom? When you pay a ransom for somebody, somebody has been taken captive, somebody is being held hostage, and you pay the ransom so they will get set free. Jesus paid his, gave his blood and gave his life to set us free. Us who are hostage are captive to sin. That's why Jesus died. That's why he came. It was a totally selfless act. He died as a sinner, and he was not a sinner. Selfishness has little equal on this earth. And so here's what I want to do. Move that forward. Here's what I'm going to do. You've got, that, you've got your bulletin there, and I want you to, to have these. I'm going to take and compare selfish. I'm going to talk about selfishness, and then I'm going to contrast the unselfishness. I hope that we'll get a handle on it, and I hope that when Satan, you need to understand this, Satan, teenagers, Satan is going to do his best to make you as selfish as he can, because if you're selfish and self-centered, it'll destroy your relationship with your parents, it'll destroy ultimately your relationship with your friends, and it certainly will destroy your relationship with God. So let's look at it in two ways. So I, I'm going to use a, just a range of words. The first one is the birth, the birth. Of selfishness. Where in the world did something as horrible, <clears throat> excuse me, as selfishness come from? Where did it get its start? Well, here's what I want to say to you. It got its start in the Garden of Eden. Now, most of us would say, well, that's right, with the fall of man. Well, no, it was actually before the fall of man. It is actually selfishness that caused the fall of man. Now, you understand in the Garden of Eden, you would agree with me that the fall of man occurred when they ate the forbidden fruit, people tell me it was an apple or an orange. I think it was a persimmon. It was probably a green persimmon at that. But they ate the fruit. She took it. He was there with her. He took it and he ate it. And they fell into sin because of why? Let me just, let me just point this out to you. You can turn to Genesis chapter 3. You didn't think I was ever going to open the Bible, did you? Genesis chapter 3, six or seven verses tell us about how we fell into darkness and selfishness was leading the way. Verse three, chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the... Did you hear this? Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit of the trees of the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it. Or you will die. Satan. No. 
You won't die. In fact, God knows when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Knowing knowing good and evil. That's all it took. The woman saw that the tree was good for food. How did she know it was good for food? I mean, when you find a piece of fruit that you don't know what it is, you just go gobble on it, or you leave it alone that it might be poison. She saw that it was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. How did she know she was going to get wisdom? Hey, Satan told her. Are you making the connections here? This is exactly how Satan comes to us to tell us to be disobedient to God and, and, and enter it into our mind that, oh man, that's good for me. And, and, and oh goodness, it looks so good and it's going to make me so smart. So, she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now, see, Adam wasn't on the other side of the garden. He was standing there. But listen to me, men. He didn't do what he was supposed to do. God had told him not to eat of the fruit. He told the wife. This was on his shoulders. He should have stopped her. He was the head of the house. It was on him. I'm the head of the house. Yeah, I've heard that. I'm the head of the house, and what my wife says goes. I got it, okay? But here's what I want to tell you. If he'd have been the spiritual leadership in, in the Garden of Eden, he'd have stopped her before she made the mistake. But he stood there and went passive. Verse 7. Then the eyes of, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together. And make coverings for themselves. Now, when I think about what Satan did here, I'm, I'm going to tell you this, and you're going to be mad at me. But Satan didn't just out and out give a total lie here. He gave enough of the truth to make them believe. He, does, he did to them what he does to us. He gave them a half-truth. Now, Brother Jerry, he just lied to them. Oh, no, he didn't. Because he said, you know, when, when you eat of it, God knows that you'll know the difference between, you'll become like God, know the difference between good and evil. You'll be like him in that way. And sure enough, when they were disobedient, they became like God. They knew, dis, uh, they knew good and evil. That's why they went and sewed the fig leaves together. And so we've been trying to hide and walk in fear. I'm no longer a slave to fear. We just sang. We just sang. And the reason we're in fear is because of sin, because of selfishness, because of self-centeredness, because we put ourselves first. And it's easy for us to sit here and go, yeah, uh, you guys really put yourself first. But the truth is, give, give somebody a choice about whether to serve God, whether to be in his service or to be in Lord knows where, doing Lord knows what. And see which one they choose. Selfishness. You see, the birth of selfishness began... Right here, what Satan didn't tell them, are you listening? He told them, sorry about that, he told them 
that they would become like God, knowing the difference of good and evil. But you know what he didn't tell them? He didn't tell them what he doesn't tell us, guys. The cost. The cost. Have you ever thought about it? They traded immortality for a piece of fruit. They traded a world with one rule for a piece of fruit. They had traded their home, this perfect place, for a piece of fruit. You see, the selfishness of I deserve, she saw the fruit, it was good, it looked good to the eyes, and she felt like it would taste good. This, this idea that I deserve began right here in the Garden of Eden. The second word I'll use is not a word we use all the time. It's the word girth. The girth, the expanse. How big, how wide is it? How wide is its girth? How wide does selfishness go? Here's what I'm going to tell you that I believe. I believe selfishness is behind every sin. We covet what someone has. We keep coveting, and then we think we deserve it, so we steal it because we, it's ours. We think we deserve the better reputation, so we gossip about somebody else. We gossip about a friend to a friend. Teenagers, I know y'all tired of me talking to you, but... ...them... Just turn around. They'll be gossiping to them about you. Are you listening? No, it's the same way. You see, the truth is, is that selfishness impedes every part of where we are. A woman cheats on her husband, or a husband cheats on a wife. Why? I deserve better. I deserve better. And we picked this up in the Bible with the story of David. <laughs> we picked it up in the Bible with the story of David. Have you ever thought about it? David's a king. Back then they had many What kings had many wives. So he had many wives, but he didn't go off to war there in Second Samuel. He didn't go off to war, so now he's sinned because he's disobedient. And so now he's up on the rooftop. Now he sees this beautiful woman. Now he's just got to have her, and he had the means to have her. And so what did he do? What was the little sleight of hand and deception and murder so he could have what he desired? He deserved her. And this is a man, are you listening? This is a man who later, after this, the way he repented was a man after God's own heart. So says the scripture. This story, the story of David should should strike Fear into every man, woman, boy, and girl who read it. Because if David, a man who had a heart for God, such that that the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. If David can be drawn away by what I deserve selfishness, can you imagine what happens to us in the hands of Satan? Selfishness cast a wide net, and no one's immune.
in the 21st century church in America, in the American church culture. I'm such a small part of the church culture. In my limited life, probably visited 100 or been in 125 or 150 churches. If I had a dime for every time I heard a church body, somebody in the church body go, we take care of our own. Proud of it. Now listen, we are told to minister to one another in the name of the Lord. But we're never told to minister to one another in the name of the Lord in the exclusion, to the exclusion of those who are yet to come. In the exclusion or to the exclusion of those yet to be saved. You see, our selfishness puts it as we and they. In God's economy, it's us. And we have two types of us's. We have those who know Christ and those who need to know Christ. And we're called to be his people, his work, and his place. To withhold ministry because somebody is not. Can you imagine getting at the great white throne? I mean, excuse me, the judgment seat of Christ and and Jesus asking you, going, "Uh, you know, what about this person? Oh, we couldn't do anything. They weren't our church members. Can you imagine how that would wash up there? The last thing that I'll say about selfishness is the worth, the worth of selfishness. What is it worth? Well, I'll tell you what, is it worth a man's soul to be selfish, self-centered? But I will tell you who it's worth a lot to. It's worth a lot to, I don't care what name you call him, the evil one, Satan, Lucifer. It's worth a lot to him. It's his big number. And he pulls it out because he knows we're susceptible to it. I mean, think about it. Satan really relishes, relishes whenever he can get one of God's creation, let alone God's redeemed, to be selfish. You see, it's this very thing that got him kicked out of heaven. Nobody's ever told you the story, and I'm guessing they have in Sunday school somewhere. Satan was selfish. He wanted the glory and the honor and the praise that was due God for himself. And oh, he was a pretty thing. He is a pretty thing. Somebody said he was the music director. We'll talk about that. I'm kidding. He is a pretty thing. And he is so full of pride and so selfish. And God said, okay, see you. Kicked him out. But you know how persuasive he is? He took a third of the angels in heaven, the created beings, who are now functioning as his demons. You see, folks, I've said all of this to say it's easy. It's easy for us to buy into the I deserve this. My kids deserve this. My family deserves this. I dare say Judah said that he deserved it too. But I do want to leave you with this thought before we leave selfishness. I don't really think that there's anybody in this room or on the Internet. 
I don't believe there's anyone that I know that wants to get in a discussion with God about what you really deserve. Selfishness. I'm going to kind of sum this up. The girth and or the influence and the worth of the consequences of selfishness. By going to Romans chapter 2. I think it's on the screen. There you go. Romans chapter 2. You see, um, the writer of Romans paints a picture for us that we need that we need to see. Romans chapter 2. We'll pick up in verse 6. I'm just going to read this. I'm not going to comment much on it. Paul writes, and he says, God will, that's he will, God will repay each one according to his works. Eternal life to those who, by persistence in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality. But... Wrath and anger to those who are self-seeking and disobey the truth while obeying unrighteousness. It goes on to say, There will be affliction and fortress for every human being who does, not, who does evil, first to the Jew, also to the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does what is good, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. That's saying that race, creed, and color. And then verse 11, he says, there's no favoritism with God. If you think it's okay for you to be selfish and self-centered and self-serving, think again. You see, Jesus' influence on the other side, his life, his teaching, his example, leads us to be unselfish. So let's take that same track. You want to follow with me? I want to talk about the birth of unselfishness. And you know, the truth is, I've already, I've already spoken to this, but if you will, go ahead and turn to Philippians, to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. It's important for us to tie God's Word the birth of unselfishness is it's fairly easy to speak because, you know, I said it a while ago. Think about Jesus. He gave us the birth of unselfishness off the throne, laid his crown on the seat, over the banister of heaven, down the stairway of stars, into the little womb of a virgin little girl. He came for us. And then from the Sermon on the Mount forward, he taught us to be unselfish. I just, just see what he does right here. Philippians chapter 2. I'll begin in verse 6, and I'll read, I'll read down to about verse 8. Look at, look at all this. He says, it says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. In other words, he was God, but he wasn't going to play that trump card. Instead, verse 7, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had, when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death. Even the death 
on the cross. Look at all those descriptive words. He emptied himself. He assumed the form of man, the likeness of man, and he humbled himself. This is where unselfishness begins for you and me. Now let's look at the girth. The girth. The expanse. So now, let's back up in that same chapter. We read it a couple of weeks ago. Look at verses 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourself. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. When I read this, these couple of verses here, it seems to me that it gives us a hint that maybe this great church at Philippi, maybe they were having some problems with selfishness. And Paul wanted to call them, he had already talked to them about joy, and now he wanted to talk to them to not be selfish because it impacts the entire fellowship. It kills the influence. It kills the work. It kills the spirit. It kills the inspiration. It kills the joy of the church. James 3, I don't, I don't think that's up there. James 3 gives us a warning. James 3 says this. Who among you is wise and understanding. By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy, can I just pause there? I didn't first hour, but I just sense that I need to. Do you have any bitterness inside? From something that happened years ago? But if you have bitter envy or self and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom comes down, does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder. But the wisdom from above is is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. Do you know that I'm convinced of this, that the majority of arguments you find, if you, if you can root it out, it's built on a premise of selfishness. You see, selfishness tears down while unselfishness builds up. How this impacts a church is undeniable. People out there know whether they view us as being selfish or unselfish. And when they see us as a church with an open hand instead of a clenched fist, it speaks worlds to them. So here's why. Because they really know that Jesus came to earth with an open hand to give. That brings us to the last, the worth. The worth. 
of unselfishness. If a church, okay, if you've not heard anything else I say, please wake up and if a church is to ever become, to be, or to be known as a Jesus church, it will be a church that is widely known as being unselfish. You may not know this man, but it is Dr. Dale Patterson. He was raised in Summerall, Mississippi. He was called in the 80s to East Brent Baptist Church in Pensacola, Florida. East Brent Baptist Church was a church down in the not-so-good section of town. It was a great church, great people. Pastor Joe before him had, had done a good job. Brother Dale decided that what, what they needed to do was literally give the church away. Give the church away. So everything they had, their gymnasium, their, their kitchen, uh, uh, their, their other rec areas, it was given away to the people in that community. The little low-income people came in and played basketball. Food, kind of like we are doing here, or trying to do. They began to minister. And as they began to minister, hearts began to melt. And as hearts began to melt, they began to find Jesus. New life, new direction, new hope. I'm landing this plane, but I just want to say to you, I don't know if you have any spiritual dreams for this church or not. I do, or I wouldn't be here. Brother Pud asked me in one of the deacons, man, he said, well, can you tell us what your vision is? And I said, yeah, my vision is for this congregation to be the most spiritually influential congregation for Christ in the area. And we do that by giving. But whatever your dream is for this church, it will never happen until we're seen and known as an unselfish church. As a church who would rather give than receive. Well, Brother Jerry, you already said that we're not selfish. That's right. That's good. Well, I got you. I got you. But we may know that in here. Do they know that out there? Dr. Luke wrote in the Acts, he says, In every way I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak, those who are outside, by laboring like this, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, because he said, listen, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Giving is the antithesis of getting, in the same way that selfishness is the antithesis of unselfishness. When you think about that verse and that truth in the Bible, it gets better because it's written to us. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over and poured into your lap. For with a measure you use or you give, it will be measured back to you. Being an unselfish person or being an unselfish church is literally impossible 
without Jesus Christ in your life. You may not like this, but just as surely as the evil one used selfishness and their self-centeredness against the people of old, against Adam and Eve, he can use it against us and cause us to be selfish even when we think we're doing right. Today, Jesus is here. He's got his hands open because that's the way he comes to us with open hands. He calls us. First of all, he calls you to be saved. If you've never trusted Christ, I didn't say that you were a church member. I said be saved. Changed from the inside out. Had that joy from the inside out. Because Jesus has come and taken residence. That's never happened to you. He's got his hands open. And you'll never become unselfish without Jesus in your life. Or maybe you know that oh, I trusted Jesus. I remember when I did and he came in. But gosh, he seems so... It's called a death to your, to your fellowship. And now you're separated. And you're doing your own thing. And you will not be unselfish. Jesus is calling today. He's calling you. He's calling me. Why not respond today? Let's pray together.